If you would also find, we're not going to read it yet, if you'd also find Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we will reference them. Diana, I didn't realize you were playing and singing this morning. I'm sitting there waving at Diana, like, get up here and place, and forgive me for that. Looking forward to Miss Diana still singing. Not that she's still singing. That's her name. She and Ben just got married a few weeks ago. And she went from a last, uh, a last name with like 13 syllables to a last name with one syllable. Still serving the Lord. Hallelujah. Like it. It's a blessing. All right, Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 14. For our guests, we're working our way through the book of Joshua. And w- chapter 13 is kind of the halfway point of the book. The first half recounts them conquering the land and the victories that God gave to them. From this chapter on, it records the dividing of the land. And we're going to deal with the different territories that God gave to each of the tribes. And there's a, there are lessons to be learned in that. But right now, we're, we're skipping over some of that. And we'll, we'll deal with all of it in one or however many sermons the Lord would have us to. But we're, we're within the account of dividing the lands, we're given insight into events that happened previously that can be really helpful to us. In Numbers, or excuse me, in Joshua chapter 13, um, last week we dealt with verse number 22, Balaam, and uh, the bite of Balaam, and the importance of having lines and uh, walls. As Brother Adam stated so well, walls aren't meant to prevent you from having relationship. They're meant to keep out harmful influences in your life. This morning we're going to look at the life of one of the more notable men leaders and influences in the nation of Israel from this time in verse number six. So the the children of Judah, then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, Joshua 14, verse six, and they're getting ready to receive their inheritance. But in that process, one individual deals with something that we'll look at today. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite said unto him, unto Joshua, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. We'll look at what he's talking about there in a little bit. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb isn't saying that about himself. That's what Moses said about him. That's what God said about him. And now the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's 85. I love verse 11. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. 
for war, both to go out and to come in. You better be careful about picking fight with a dude that's older than you. There's some of that seasoned strength. That's real. <laughs> uh, verse 12, we're not preaching on this today. We'll get to this, the Lord willing. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. This isn't some dude in his 30s and 40s. This bro is 85. He's like, I want that. I want that mountain, because if God's with me, we'll have victory. And Joshua blessed him in verse 13 and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Here's the title, an all in life. Caleb didn't halfway follow God. He was all in. And the most harmful type of Christianity, I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm simply making the point this morning that the most harmful type of Christianity is halfway Christianity. You misrepresent God and you discourage future generations from what God can do. Caleb was all in and all in faith. You may be seated. Miss Diana will sing, and then after that, we'll get to the sermon.
I'm thankful that Jesus can heal any heart, and uh, that line that a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life, and just think about the thief on the cross, and uh, around the throne of Christ praising him, I'm thankful for the hope that our Savior gives. All right, so just as a reminder, I haven't talked about this in a while, but our guests need to know who the, the pastor is. I don't not like Boise State. Okay, let me say that again. I don't not like Boise State. But we like OU. <laughs> and yeah, I remember Boise State beat OU that one time. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I'm just messing around. I've already lost half of you. All right. Um, for anybody that cares, and most of you would not, 
but this year was a, a pretty traumatic season for people that follow OU football. Um, uh, OU has enjoyed a couple of decades of pretty solid success under Bob Stoops and then a great transition from Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley, who is considered an offensive genius and just an all-around great head coach and took the Sooners uh, to two or uh, three uh, college football playoffs, um, has coached in his tenure at OU, two Heisman Trophy winners, and uh, just done a phenomenal job continuing to build on the foundation. This year, just things seem to be a little off this past season, and games that and teams that OU should not have struggled against, they seem to be, and it just seemed like something wasn't right. Well, even in spite of those struggles, OU, by the last game of the season, had a lot to play for. They were playing against their in-state rival, Oklahoma State, which is in Stillwater, where our family served and lived for several years. And they were, they were playing there in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. It was two top 10 teams, and the winner was going, had a chance to play for the conference title and then to go on to make the college football playoff. And still, OU still had everything to play for. Well, they last, um, their last possession of the game, they had to score a touchdown. They were unable to, and they lost the game and were eliminated from winning the conference title, eliminated from national title contention. But that wasn't the story. The real story was what happened in the immediate aftermath of that game. It came out that while the season was going on, that Coach Lincoln Riley, and while he says, I never spoke to anyone at USC, his reps were meeting with USC, and essentially, as soon as the game was over, he was jetted out to Los Angeles, where he signed a contract to become the next coach at the University of Southern California. And here in Idaho, we don't like anything in California. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. We love everybody from California. Amen, we do. Come on, hallelujah. Well, I need to be careful about that. I don't know. I'm going to lose the locals if I keep talking about that. Anyway, let me just move on. So Riley, Coach Riley, I don't know the guy. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about his character, about his family. Sometimes sports fans take that stuff way too far. It is just a game. But here's what was frustrating to fans of OU's football team. They had a coach who wasn't all in. No, he pretended to be all in. And from outward appearances, he appeared to be all in. He was practicing. He was scheming. He was training. He was coaching. He was doing all of those things that it appears that you're all in. But you can't have reps in negotiation for another contract at another school and mentally and emotionally be completely invested. So this is what it looked like. On Saturdays, it looked like he was all in. But during the rest of the week, things in his life indicated, even though they weren't visible to everyone else, you're not really all in. One of the most destructive things to Christianity, to the faith of Jesus Christ, to the power of the gospel, one of the greatest hindrances to the influence of believers today is that we have believers that coach Riley on the weekend look like they're on one team. But during other days of the week, their lives are bearing out 
in the way that they live their lives, in the way that they act in their marriages, in the habits that they have, in the attitudes that they have towards their neighbor, in the things that they allow into their lives, what they're doing in secret on social media, what they're looking at privately on the internet, their lives bear out that they are not all in. We need believers who live out the faith of Jesus Christ in an all-in manner. The name Caleb in chapter 14, verse number 6, means faithful or wholehearted. One who is brave, one who is bold, but the implication of his name alone, it means someone who isn't halfway or partway or most of the way. And when you look at the life of Caleb, you can see that he was all in. Please turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. And and we're not going to read a lot here, but I just, I want to summarize some things. Caleb was chosen to be one of the 12 spies to search out the promised land. In verse number two, Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men that they may search. And in verse, in verse number six of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as we read from Joshua, he would have been 40 years old. He's one of these 12 spies. And so he came back and he gave a good report along with Joshua. In verse number 26, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak, Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So here's the point. They come back, and the 12 spies all agree with this. It's a great land, but 10 of them are saying, there's too many obstacles. There's too many enemies. There's too much adversity. And so the people begin to panic. Start talking about the walled cities and the giants and the Jebusites and the Amalekites and the Canaanites and Anak and all of these great adversaries that we're going to face. Look at verse number 30 in Numbers 13. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. So he tries to calm the people down. You get into verse, chapter 14 verse 1. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And then they begin to complain about Moses and complain about his leadership, and they talk about stoning them. In verse 6 of chapter 14, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, and he did, and it was obvious that he did, he brought them out of Egypt, he brought them through the Red Sea, he provided for them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud for some two years in preparation of entering the promised land, it was obvious that he favored them. They didn't believe him in this pivotal moment. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Look at verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. 
Now God shows up and he intervenes and he protects the life of Moses. He protects the life of Aaron. He protects the life of Caleb. He protects the life of Joshua. But that generation, and you read on in Numbers chapter 14, they are condemned to wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone aged 20 and up dies off because of their rebellion against God. And yet in spite of all of that, Caleb never lost his faith in who God is. When he's speaking those words in Numbers chapter 14 and he's talking about how they, the, the enemies, as great as they are, will become bread to us and their defense will depart from them. He had to be thinking of what God did to the Egyptians in the Red Sea and how if God can bury an evil army in the midst of the Red Sea without our help, no one is able to stand before us if we are right with God. That we will be able to be victorious in spite of whatever adversity we face. He was all in. Then there was opposition that came at him. And it wasn't like this was just, hey, you pick your team and I'll pick my team. You, be, you pick Boise State and I'll pick Fresno State. Or I'll pick BY, no, I'll pick Utah State. Or I'll pick Boise State. And we can just, you cheer for your team, I'll cheer for my team, and we can just be friends. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of thing. Caleb was saying, we need to follow God. And people were saying, we need to kill you. So it wasn't some kind of silly, meaningless position. And yet, Caleb stood. And in spite of Go back to Numbers chapter 14 for just a moment. In spite of the opposition of people, verse 26. He says in verse 27, How shall I bear with this evil congregation? Verse 30, Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, Look up in verse number 24, 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Back in Joshua chapter 14, the only two that remain from that generation that actually had influence and led are Joshua, who's leading the nation, and Caleb, who's leading the tribe of Judah, who's very influential in the nation. And so it's being divided, and the nation of Judah, or the tribe of Judah, comes before Joshua to receive their inheritance. And Caleb reminds Joshua of the past events some 45 years before. And please notice this in Joshua 14, he's not bragging. He's simply stating the truth that was stated about him by God and by Moses. Look at verse number 8. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Listen, it's right for a person to admit when they've done wrong. But it's also right for a person to admit when they've done right. No, don't be uncomfortable with that. People should admit when they've done wrong, but people should also be able to state, not in a braggadocious or arrogant way, I've tried to live my life in a right way that would be good for my family and right before God. But then in verse number nine, it's stated about him, and thy children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse number 14, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel, and we've already read it back in Numbers chapter 14, where God says about him, he fully followed me. The word holy means fully, entirely, without reservation. 
means that you're all in. You're holding nothing back. For just a few more minutes, I want to look at the characteristics of faith that Caleb had that demonstrate that his life was a life that was all in. Number one, and there are only two that we'll talk about this morning. Number one, an all-in life, all-in faith, is a life that is guided by the truth of God, not popular opinion. You go back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, popular opinion, and not a minor majority. 99.9% of people with influence and people who had the ability to express direction, the popular opinion was this. This is a really good land that we can never possess, and the leadership has failed us. We ought to kill them, and we ought to go back to Egypt. As a reminder, in case you don't know, here's what was in Egypt. Oppression and slavery. Here's what they had experienced since God brought them out of Egypt. They experienced freedom. They experienced deliverance. They experienced victory. They experienced God's provision through manna. They experienced water from some of the most unlikely resources. They experienced his presence with them every step of the way. And yet the popular opinion was this. You have failed us. And by saying Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua had failed them, this is what they were really saying. God had failed them. You know what popular opinion was? We need to go back to Egypt. But Caleb's life, he would not allow his life to be guided by popular opinion. You know what his life was guided by? The truth of God. You know what the truth of God was? We read it. I will give this land to you. No enemy can stand before you. I'm not going to give it to you all at once. I'm going to give it to you little bit by little bit so that the land doesn't go to waste and so that you learn to trust me so that you don't become arrogant and so that you can develop confidence in who I am and what I'm trying to do. It will be a process, but I will most certainly give you the land. That wasn't Moses' idea. That wasn't Jacob's idea. That wasn't Isaac or Abraham's idea. It certainly wasn't Caleb or Joshua's idea, that was the truth of the eternal God who said this is the purpose. And Caleb was determined to let that truth guide the way he lived his life. Popular opinion says you need to run and hide. But the truth of God says you need to advance by faith. Today, Christianity, churches, individual believers faith and lives are being shipwrecked because we are co we are allowing popular opinion to coerce us more than we are the truth of god to guide us so well, i wonder what you're talking about there thanks for asking Gender's not fluid. I don't mean that in a mean or nasty way. It's not. And it's not just a Bible thing. It's just science catches up with the Bible. Scientifically, there's two genders. And you don't pick. You're not assigned. You're created. 
And I, and I don't care, you can think whatever you want to think about your doctor. God did not make a mistake when he made you either a female or a male. Sexual experience is very limited and structured before God. Pornography is evil and destructive. I mean, it's just, it's just, what, it's just what young people do. It's, a, it's, not, it's not just an em- epidemic for kids as young as eight. And it's not just boys. No, it's, a, it's an epidemic for people that are in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s. And many times there are people who sit in churches on a weekly basis and they'll say amen to a sermon like this, but then they'll go and they'll indulge themselves. Now look, it's just, it's, it's just popular opinion. There is nothing wrong with this. I'm not, I'm, I have no interest in making anybody mad. But the, there's no use in preaching the Bible if you're not going to make pro- practical application. I'm not, I'm not trying to jump into an argument here. I just, I just want to make a point. Been, there has been in recent years all kinds of debate about medicinal marijuana. And I'm not arguing for or against that. I'm just simply making a point about two lies that you've been told. Number one, and you can back this up if you look at law enforcement statistics... They said that if you legalize this, it's not a gateway to anything else. And yet every statistic proves that the more you legalize, the worse it gets in every other area. Legalizing doesn't improve behavior. Number two, children of God. I'm not arguing for or against medicinal things used in the right way. I'm simply saying this. As Christians, we live in a culture where there is an intentional effort to make us dependent on all sorts of medications and influences to the point that people can't function anymore. And whether, and look, I drink coffee, but if I'm grumpy without coffee, I've got too much dependence on coffee. If I yell at my kids because I haven't had a cup of coffee, I'm way too dependent on caffeine. And, the, and listen, we, we want to, we pretend this isn't in the Bible, but the Bible says the drunkard and the glutton and the drunkard are the same. And the truth is, we shouldn't be dependent on any source outside of Jesus Christ to have a right attitude. Is there a place for medicines and therapies that are necessary to help? Yes, but we can become too dependent on those. I'm sorry about that. We're trying to fix it. Talk about church attendance. Popular opinion, yeah, just show up when you want to. It's all good. And look, you come here one time, come here three times, whatever, you're going to be greeted the same way. We love you being here. If this is your first and only time, you leave knowing that one, God said something to you, and two, the people that were there were happy that you were there. But God doesn't put church attendance as an option that we pick and choose if we like it, if it works with our schedule, if it works with these other things and these other hobbies or these other interests or these other pursuits. You and your family need to be, if you care about God, you need to be in a church consistently. Yet popular opinion is, uh, we, can just, we can do this however we want. Let me, let me talk about some other things, though. 
Children obe- children's obedience. You know what popular opinion says about children's obedience? Ah, kids are just going to do whatever they want to do. Well, no, you're commanded to train and raise your children. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about nasty. You can call me old-fashioned. But my wife and I are blessed with eight children, and each one of them, obedience is not optional. No, you will show respect to your mom. I'm not asking you to speak to her respectfully. I'm not, no, no, it, this, these are real conversations in our home. You're allowed to not like everything that your mom or I tell you to do. It's okay that you might not always agree, but God doesn't tell you to obey because you like it or because you agree with it or because you're in a good mood at the moment. And far too many, I'm not talking about the world right now, far too many Christians are buying into the popular opinions of the world that, well, you just got to buy kids loyalty and you just got to kind of manipulate it and bribe it and you just you've just you've just got to coddle them and console them and and you just know how kids are these days no kids these days are just like kids in every other day they have a sin nature and they need a structured home where they are expected to respect and obey the dad and mom that god gave them expect it's not optional i don't i don't care what so-called experts who have three degrees say about my children. They need to be expected to obey because their creator expects them to obey. I'm not talking about being mean, I'm talking about expectation and training that in a loving and firm and consistent way. Training that from the time they're young. Like one. Now that's a whole nother class. But it starts early. Let me let me talk about another thing. Forgiveness. the popular opinion is you offend me, I'm getting even with you. But that kind of resentment and bitterness has no place in the heart of a child of God. And, And just because that vindictive spirit is what is demonstrated at your workplace, just because that 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 spirit of vengeance is what is highlighted in music and in entertainment and we just always got to get even and be mean and and fight fire with fire no i'm not talking about sweeping evil under the rug i'm not talking about not standing up for ourselves and defending ourselves and doing those things in a right way and being men and women of strength but what i am talking about is when we walk around with resentment and bitterness in our lives like well that's what the world does A life that is all in is not a life that is being led by popular opinion. It's a life that's being led and guided by the truth of God. Number one, a life that's all in is a life of conviction. But I love this about Caleb. In his conviction, we're not going to go back and read it. I'm going to get through this part. I'm going to try to get through this part quick. Please hear me. In his in his conviction that this is what we must do, you never find him stating an ill word about anyone that disagreed with him. No, I don't, I don't think you get this. I want to make sure that we get this. He is taking this, sorry. I'm sorry, Brother Patrick. Y'all give me just a second. Make a pile-proof microphone, but that would be way too expensive. I'm sorry, guys. Thank you for your patience. Oh, please get this. There's Caleb taking a stand. This is a strong, courageous, 
confrontational stand. We're not changing because of popular opinion. Okay, let me just sow this seed because this battle's coming. If you weren't aware of it, please just ignore it. If you weren't aware of it, this battle's coming to churches like ours. Who can use the bathrooms? No, that's not going to happen. No, it's coming. And we're not, look, look, we're not apologizing for it. It's okay. He's coming. It's okay. Yeah, 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 you're good. Look. We're not apologizing for that. Amen. You got one on and the other off? Thank you. We're not apologizing for the fact that God created men to be men and women to be women. We're not apologizing for that. And you don't get to decide which bathroom you use. Use the bathroom that was designated for you or go buy your own house and use whatever bathroom you want. But as a pastor, I'm not just responsible to spiritually feed God's people. I'm responsible to make sure that this place is safe for people to be able to come and to worship God according to the convictions of their heart. That battle is coming. I'm not sorry for it. I hate that it's coming. But we're not changing. We'll try to have wisdom and discernment. But we're not going to apologize for the truth of the word of God. We will not be guided by popular opinion. Now, please hear me. Every one of you that's saying amen about that, you need to also think about your own time in the word of God. You need to think about your own convictions of being at the house of God. You need to think about your attitude towards your spouse. Not be guided by personal, not be guided by popular opinion. But here's the second point. First, it was a life of conviction. Second point, you never hear Caleb. You never hear Caleb condescending the people that disagreed with him. Here he is taking a stand. Here they are picking up stones to kill him. And you know what you don't hear? Caleb never starts calling them names. Caleb never starts being nasty to them. You know what he does? Stop. Stop. Think. The God that did all these things for us is the same God that can help you. Here's the second characteristic of a life that is wholly devoted, a life that is all in. It's a life that is not only guided by the truth of God, but a life that is lived to help others know and benefit from the truth of God. I love this. Caleb wasn't content to inherit the land himself. Caleb wanted others to inherit the land with him. If you look back in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, you see the use of the plural pronouns, we. We are able to inhabit. We are able to conquer. Caleb wasn't living on an island. Caleb didn't have the attitude that so many believers have today. Well, it's me and mine, and I don't really care what happens to anybody else. Caleb wanted as many people as possible to enjoy the blessing of God. You know what that's called? A life of compassion. No, I don't think you see it. Stones to kill him. And yet this was Caleb and Joshua. Hey, stop. Listen. The God that rescued you 
is the same God that can make you victorious. You're not thinking right. You're letting your emotions and your fear and your anxiety run away with you. I don't, he didn't say these words, but this is what was in his heart. I don't hate you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I want to help you. But you have to understand that the only way to have the blessing of God is not by following your own course, but it's by submitting to the truth of who God is and how he is directing our life. Please understand, as children of God, we should not only be women and men and young people of conviction. We should also be men and women and young people of compassion. Meaning what? I want as many people to benefit from the goodness of God as possible. Say, who are you talking about? Anybody who will. I don't care what bumper sticker. I don't care who you voted for. Because you can vote for people that are good for this nation, but still not believe in Jesus like you need to. There's no perfect leaders except for Jesus Christ. I don't care what you're guilty of. I don't care what your opinion is on different issues that can be called controversial. I want as many people as possible to experience the goodness that God can work in your life. But here's how churches, here's how churches, here's how Christians are failing today. We think that in order to reach people, we have to affirm every bad behavior and sinful decision that people are making. And that is not compassion. That is compromise. And you know what compromise does? It hurts people. You can have conviction without being ugly. I can have a strong stand and still be gentle. And kind. Compassion is not affirmation. It's not, okay, just God loves everybody and you can do whatever you want. No, you can do whatever you want. You don't, you don't answer to me. You do answer to God. And if I'm going to be faithful to the word of God and to love you the way Jesus says that I'm supposed to as a minister of his gospel, I'm going to tell you the truth. The Bible says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We don't have, please hear me, church, we don't have convictions to harm or condemn people. We have them to help people know the love and the life that only God can give. Say, well, how do I compel people with conviction and compassion? Number one, by your own example. You know what Caleb was before he confronted anybody? He was an example. This is a good land and we got it. I would love just to preach this message. It's a good land. We got it because God's got us. How about that for alliteration? I didn't even write that down. That just dropped out of the sky right into my brain. Good land. Good God. Got it. Okay, I need to move on. You know what he was? He was an example of faith. Look, moms and dads, please look at me. Before you dealing with you dealing with rebellious teenagers. No, you know what? I, listen, a child can be raised the right way and still go the wrong direction. That's not what I'm talking about, because there is another side to that coin, coin to where you have rebellious children. You say, "Man, I can't believe my children act the way that they do." Well, you might want to start first by looking in the mirror. And it may be that some of the behavior that you see in their lives is simply a reflection of what they see on a daily basis. 
And, and look, I don't mean this sarcastically, but dragging children to church is not the sum of raising them. You cannot have one service or two services or three services a week and it, and it every time compensate for neglect at home. A church is not meant to do what parents should be doing. A church is meant to, uh, to help and to aid what is happening in the home. I don't thank God for his grace that he can overcome the flaws and faults of parents. And children, listen to me. Your parents may not be perfect, but you're still responsible before God for how you live. But understand this. We've got to start by our, by our example. Number two, he confronted them with truth. I, I, read, a, I read a brief part of a story to Brother Max, to Brother Nate, to Brother Fiavi before we prayed and came out. And it's an article that a, a member of s- sent to me, and, and I, don't, I don't even want, I'm not even going to tell you everything about it because it's just, it's horrible and it's a disgrace. But it was a Baptist church. And, and it was stated recently, this statement was made in a very public setting, that there are certain people that there is no hope of salvation for them. And then he went on to express and spew even more vitriol and hatred. Conviction isn't nastiness. Compassion is not compromise. You know how you reach people who are different than you? You ever wondered that? Some of you haven't wondered that in a while. Because you're not thinking outside of your comfort zone. You need to understand that Jesus didn't just die for people like you. He died for everybody. I'm not talking about condoning sinful behavior that is harmful or destructive, that is primarily wrong before God. You know what I am talking about? Those people, Jesus, whoever, whatever you think those means. And if you think I'm only thinking of one thing, you have no business presuming to know everything that's in my brain. And whatever those people in your mind refers to, can I encourage you with this? Jesus' disciples had a those people category. There was a woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. She was considered an outcast because of her race and because of her gender. And yet as they followed Jesus, this is what they knew about him. Jesus intentionally went to her. And you know what he did? He saved her. You know what I believe? I believe we can see all kinds of people come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, as their Savior. Look, God's still God. You know what the problem is? We're not being the right kind of example, and we're not willing to lovingly confront people. Not about every disagreement we might have, but about this. There is a God, and you're a sinner, and he's the only Savior, and you can know him. Just be willing to love them and influence them to Jesus Christ. And part of that is confronting them with the truth in a gracious and kind and yet very convicted and uncompromising way. It's a life that's given to help know the truth of God. A life that is all in is a life of conviction and a life of compassion. Conviction that we will stand on certain truths. Compassion, compassion, that we will love people enough to confront them with the truth of Jesus Christ. 
and his desire to save them. I want to be an all-in guy. I want to be an all-in husband, dad, pastor, friend. I want to be all-in. I hope you do too. Are there areas in your life where the convictions have lowered? Come on, look at me. Are there areas in your life where the convictions have lowered? You know you're saved, but you've lowered some expectations that God has. I'm not talking about that are forced on you, that are imposed on you. I'm talking about from the word of God. You know there are areas that you have let slide or that you have neglected. They are not as they ought to be. Your attitude is not as it ought to be. Your private habits are not as they ought to be. I'm not asking you whether or not you're saved. I'm simply asking, as a child of God, have there been in your life convictions that have slid? If you want to be all in, you're going to have to tighten those things up. If you want to be all in, you can't just have convictions. And man, it's so harmful to Christianity if we, have, if we are full of conviction but empty of compassion. God wants to help sinners. He is a friend of sinners. You say, I don't know how to help people. You ready? Be the right example and love them enough to talk to them about Jesus. Love them enough to be kind. Be kind. Tell them about Jesus. A life all in is a life of conviction and a life of compassion. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Can I ask you to respond to just a couple of questions? First question is this. Do you know for sure that you're saved? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there, would those, don't look around, please don't look around, but if you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die, you know you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, I wonder if there would be anyone that would raise their hand and say, I know that I'm saved. I know that I've trusted Jesus. I know it. Would you raise your hand and witness to that? Say, yeah, I know it. Praise God for it. It's great. You can put your hands down. If you don't know that, you can have that today. Not, not because of this church. You, you, sitting right there in your seat, you can call on God. Acknowledge that you are a sinner and ask him to be your savior. And if you'd allow us, if you'd come forward at the invitation, we would discreetly and kindly take the Bible and show you the truth of the word of God. But let me ask this, for those of you that acknowledge publicly before God, I'm saved. I wonder if there would be any that would raise their hand and say, there are some convictions in my life that I have let slide. I've let them slide because of convenience. I've let them slide because of peer pressure. I've let them slide because of weariness. I've let them slide just because I've gotten away from God and I've, I've just kind of morphed into something that isn't even consistent with the life that I know I ought to be living. There are things I've let into my life. They might, they, they might be private matters. They might be things of a public nature. They might be attitudes. They might be habits. Might have to do with being in church. Might have to do with the Bible. We're praying consistently, your attitude towards your spouse, but you say, I, I have, I, I know I'm saved, but I've let some convictions slide, and I need God's help to get back to those places. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there would be anyone that would raise their hand and say, that's me. Yep, going up all over the place. God bless you for your honesty. God bless you. Can I, can I ask you, can I ask you for your help with that? Those that, those that raise your hands, would you be a good example and respond to the Lord this morning. Last question is this. How many of you would say my convictions today are what they have been?
But where I've really struggled is in my compassion. I've gotten, I've let this volatile climate that we live in, I've let this divisive climate that we live in, I've let it affect my spirit in an unhealthy way to the point that I am angry and I am hostile and I'm constantly on the verge of wanting to fight. And and my resentment and my frustration is showing up in my home, it's showing up at work, it's showing up with my neighbors. And And there are people that without ever having said a word to them, I hate them and I am angry and I need God to help my heart have compassion. I'm not talking about compromising anything. I'm talking about loving people enough, even that want to throw stones at you to say, no, there is a God who loves you and who wants to save you and help you. Would there be any of God's children that would raise their hand and say, my compassion is not what it ought to be? I see him. Yep. All over the place again. I didn't, I didn't bring this out in the message like, like I should have. You know what the consequence of not having conviction and compassion was? 40 years in the wilderness, generations not enjoying the blessing of God. And if we aren't people of conviction and, and compassion, it's not just us that will pay for it. Our children and our grandchildren will pay for it. This isn't some light laughing matter. There is a God and you need to draw some lines in your life. And there is a God and you need to have his love and mercy filling your spirit. So this morning, some are already coming. Would you come? Whether you're a guest, it's your first time, you've been here hundreds of times, would you just come this morning and talk to the God who talked to you, please? See, it's not about, we're not tracking numbers here. We're not keeping track of how many people come to this altar and pray. I just, if you were serious about it, you're serious about, man, God really talked to me this morning, then come. Come and talk to God about what you raised your hand and said he talked to you about. Don't look around. Don't don't worry about what somebody else is doing. Young person, less young person, man, woman, member, guest, long-time attender, new attender, just come. You want somebody to pray with you? Just walk forward and get my attention. I'll be happy to pray with you. But come. Some of you need to come because you've been sitting in this church for so long and you can't remember the last time you went to the altar and you've just gotten hard. Come.